All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. You probably haven't spent a lot of time in Ezra lately, right? You know there's a Bible book called Ezra, right? Genesis, Exodus, say it with me. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and Ezra. Good. Right before the book of Nehemiah is the book of Ezra, and this is a very interesting book. It was written during the time of Judah's exile, so historically, chronologically, it's later, but in terms of the way the Bible's laid out, it's earlier in the Old Testament. But this occurs later on, after Judah has gone into exile, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's written to a people that needed to start to listen to the Lord. And thankfully, it's a blessing to see that when God does send a message, when God does work, that the people actually do listen and their hearts were stirred. And that's the title of this message this morning, When Hearts Are Stirred. When Hearts Are Stirred. This study has application for every single believer in this room this morning, and it also has application even if you aren't saved. Because we want you to know this morning that if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that His grace applies to you. That what we sang about this morning, the grace of God and the mercy of God is available to you this morning. And the Holy Spirit's going to appeal to you today. He's going to speak to you. That voice you hear in your conscience as we go along as we study is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and calling you to receive the grace of God. And today you can do that. Today you can trust in Him. And you can put your confidence in Him and He will save you. And we would love to talk to you about that after the service, see if you have any questions about that. But what's fascinating about this text that we're going to look at this morning, we've got a couple texts, is that an unbeliever does what God tells him to do. And because an unbeliever does what God tells him to do, that impacts all of those who love the Lord. Now that's in reverse, right? You would expect it to be the other way, that the believer would do what the Lord says and that would impact an unbeliever. But in Ezra, it's different. It's an unbeliever impacting believers. So let's look at this. It's in chapter 1 of the book of Ezra, verses 1 to 8. That's where we're going to start. And then we'll read another passage a little bit later on. But let's look at Ezra 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all the kingdom, And also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor, at whatever place he may live, Let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goats and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of fathers' households of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. All those about them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goats and with cattle and with valuables aside from all that was given as a freewill offering. Also King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought out by the hand of Meherida, the treasurer, and counted them out to, can't read that word, Mahizalazar, the prince of Judah. Now, history and context is real important because we look at this and we say, all right, we got Persia, we got Judah, we got all kinds of stuff going on, but let's try to contextualize it very quickly because the historicity of this makes a difference on what's going on. After the Jews come out of the promised land, uh, excuse me, after the Jews go into the promised land that God had given them, the 12 tribes settle in, God removed the people of the land and gave them victory of that, and they settle in. They choose Saul as king, which we know is a poor choice, and then God puts David in office. David was a great choice because he loved the Lord. And then Solomon followed him. Solomon built the temple, but Solomon uh, got carried away with a lot of women, a thousand women later in his life, and started to serve false gods. After Solomon, Rehoboam, his son, became king. But the nation divided at that point into ten tribes of the north. We know this, we've studied this before. 
Ten tribes of the north called Israel. Two tribes of the south called Judah. Jeroboam was in Israel. Rehoboam was in Judah. Now, Israel, the northern tribes, got off to a bad start. Just from the outset, they were into idolatry. They didn't uh, have Jerusalem anymore because that was in Judah. So they set up, we studied this last week, they set up golden calves and kind of altars and, and high places where the people would go. Instead of worshiping in an actual temple or in a place of God, they'd go and kind of what was convenient and they'd worship and quickly that turned into idolatry. Well, the Lord sends prophets to warn them and say, you're going on the wrong track, but their kings were all evil. And eventually God got fed up and said, you know what? I'm done with it. You guys won't listen to me. We're going to take you into captivity. And he sends the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were very, very wicked people. And if you do any research on what the Assyrians were like, you won't want to be eating anywhere within 10 or 20 hours of reading that. Because they were very, very wicked, cruel people. They were into uh, decapitation and amputation and flaying the skin off of a body and all kinds of stuff. I don't even want to describe it on Father's Day or, or any other day. It was way too graphic. But let's just establish that going to Assyria was no picnic. So Israel is carried away to Assyria. They go into captivity. And what is strategic about Assyria is they take the young men of a nation that they conquered and they would indoctrinate them into the Assyrian culture. And then they take everybody else and they would spread them out and they would cause them to intermarry and intermingle so that the nation would no longer be pure and it would become weak. So Israel, the ten tribes, go off into Assyria and kind of disappear, so to speak. Well, then Judah, which tended to have better, more godly kings, starts to fall into idolatry too. And God warns them and he sends more prophets. And he says, listen, look what happened in the north. Pay attention to what's going on because it did not go well for them. They didn't listen to me. You guys need to get your act together and you need to listen to what I'm saying and what my prophets are saying because if you don't, the same fate awaits you. Well, Judah didn't listen. So after a while, after about 100 years, Judah is taken into captivity because Babylon comes in with Nebuchadnezzar the king. We know this from Daniel. And he comes in and takes them captive. Now, the Babylonians were pretty much every bit as cruel as the Assyrians and they had the same indoctrination system. They would take the young men who are kind of fit and strong and pliable, and they would mold them into Babylonian culture so that they kind of became Babylonians, and then they spread everybody out. So Israel goes from being under David, under Solomon, seeing this magnificent temple that was grand beyond any building we could ever imagine, built to God in Jerusalem. It goes from that to being spread out. It's called the diaspora, the dispersion, and they're spread out all over the known world at that time and never come back together until Israel becomes a nation in 1948. So Israel and Judah both didn't learn the lesson and the nation was scattered into two. Now eventually, this is the end of the history lesson, okay? Eventually, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians and the Persians became a very strong empire and many of the Jews who were captive in Babylonian uh, states then became captives of the Persians. But here's what's interesting, and we just read it in verse 1. Look back at it. There's a king named Cyrus. And Cyrus, in his first year as king, actually listened to the Lord. Now, he was a pagan. He had no ties to the Jews. He wasn't interested in Judaism. He had nothing to gain by being part of this culture. And yet, as he really theoretically, has no inclination to listen to Jehovah, God speaks about him before Cyrus ever gets into office. And Isaiah, in chapter 44 of Isaiah, actually prophesies about Cyrus before Cyrus even comes onto the scene. And God says, It is I who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, She will be built, and of the temple, Your foundation will be laid. And then in chapter 45 of Isaiah, the Lord calls Cyrus his anointed one who, has take, who I have taken by the right hand. Now you say, well, what does that matter in June of 2014 as I sit in Wisconsin? What, what do I care about Cyrus? Well, Cyrus was an ungodly person 
Cyrus had no interest in Jehovah. Cyrus wasn't even around when Isaiah the prophet comes along and says, there's going to be a man named Cyrus, and he's going to be king, and he's going to be the one that's going to bring God's people back, and the temple's going to be restored. Now, we don't know if or how Cyrus heard that prophecy. Maybe Daniel told him about it at some point. But whenever he heard it, if he heard it, he easily could have ignored it. He could have said to himself, what do I care about some Jewish God? We've got a thousand gods in my nation. What's another one? Why would I, why would I want to rebuild a temple? What, what, why would that interest me in any way, shape, or form? I just came into office. I have a country to run. I have people to please. I've got to pacify everybody that wants something from me. I have a nation that I've got to deal with and an empire that I'm in control with. What do I care about some temple in Jerusalem? Look at the text in verse 1. That's not what Cyrus did. And there's a very compelling reason why Cyrus did not take that attitude. And you see it right there in the verse. It says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Now that word means to be awakened in your heart and to be incited to action. In other words, it wasn't just a reaction to Isaiah's prophecy. This was a heart issue that when Cyrus heard about the word of the Lord and he heard that he was supposed to be the one that was going to bring the Jews back to Judah and rebuild the temple, that instead of ignoring that, instead of sloughing it off, instead of mocking it, instead of saying, I have no interest in that whatsoever, instead he was compelled to follow it. Why? Because the Lord stirred his spirit. And he understood at that point, listen carefully now, that God had called him for a very specific purpose. A Persian king, somebody that had multiple gods, nothing makes sense about him saying, we're going to bring the Jews back to Jerusalem. But notice how Cyrus recognized and listened to the word of God. And I asked myself as I studied this this week, if Cyrus can do it, what's stopping me? Am I seeking the word of the Lord? Are you seeking the word of the Lord? Are we listening to the word's voice? Do we know how to recognize it? Can we distinguish it when the spirit of God speaks to us? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. Do we know the voice of God? I'm not just talking about you read your Bible and you say, well, certainly that's the word of God. I'm talking about when the spirit of God stirs you. When was the last time you felt stirred by the Lord? When was the last time you said to yourself, and I'm not being weird and and crazy and mystical this morning. I'm talking about real leading from the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of God. He's not some strange being that we've made all all, all odd and, and weird and surreal. No, this is the Spirit of Christ. Do we know the voice of Christ? Do we know when Jesus speaks to us? Are we keeping our hearts faithful? And pure, that when God speaks to us and stirs us, that we're available to receive it. This is the Persian king. It's his first year. The first year as a politician, you try not to offend anybody. You try to make nice. You try to get to know people. You try to establish yourself. You try to settle in. You try to just let everybody kind of get to know you a little bit. And yet, in the first year of Cyrus's reign, he makes a proclamation. And he doesn't just say it. He writes it down. In other words, he's on the hook for this. And he says, here's what's going to happen. God's put a word. God's put something on me. God prophesied about me. He named me by name many years ago. And I need to do exactly what God has called me to do. We ignore the word of the Lord. When we refuse to do what God's called us to do, even when it's difficult, even when it's challenging, even we don't understand the next step, it means that we're proud and we're stubborn and we don't want to do what the Lord says. But Jesus says, you got to walk by faith. you got to walk by faith and not by sight. So I'm going to call you to things and I'm going to stir you to do things and you have to follow that. So let me give you a couple principles this morning because I'm going to try to preach short so we can do the other things we've got to do. First spiritual principle this morning. When your heart is stirred by the Lord, when your heart is stirred by the Lord, you're willing to do what is bold and even risky in order to obey Him. When your heart is stirred by the Lord, you're willing to do what is bold and even risky in order to obey Him. Think about how audacious this plan was. 
Think about how unrealistic this would have been to Cyrus's advisors. How they would have said, oh, Cyrus, um, with all due respect, king, this is a horrendous idea. This is, respectfully, you're not going to kill me, right? You don't know what you're doing. You're, you're, you're a novice at this. We've been around. This is a bad political move. These are our slaves. They are capable. They work hard. And you want to free them? You want to give up our, our human resources? And then, Cyrus, you want, to, you, you want us to support them and give them cattle and, and sheep? And you want us to help them? And then you're going to take a free will offering? All right. Excuse me, king, are you crazy? What are you doing? You're weakening the Persian Empire. What do you think the people are going to say about this? Your government's going to collapse on itself if you do this. There's no way you should do this. But notice how God uses him. God's going to use Cyrus in a mighty way because he's willing to listen to the stirring of the Spirit. And I want to ask you this morning, if the Lord can do something this profound with an unsaved person's heart, what can he do with a believer? With somebody who is redeemed and transformed and called a child of God and has the Holy Spirit inside of them, when God stirs us and we respond, what can he do? Listen, the Lord does not anoint or bless anything or anyone that's not stirred. He doesn't just take people that are kind of dull and say, well, I'll serve the Lord, but I don't really want to, and I don't really want to sacrifice. God's not going to bless that. He waits, and he stirs the heart, and he waits to see how we're going to react. And he says, if you will trust me, and you will do what I've called you to do, I will bless you beyond measure. But if you resist it, and you don't trust me, uh, there's no hope. We see that in chapter 2, because... Cyrus wasn't the only one who acted boldly. Look at it for a second. There are many Jewish families who take the step of faith because their hearts are stirred. A lot of the Jews didn't want to go back. They thought it was unimportant. They said, it's risky. We like our life here. We've got, we're settled in. You know, we're slaves, but life is good. Cyrus seems like a great guy. Uh, we're, we're settled. We have our jobs. We have our families. We have our homes. We're we're, we're good. We don't want to go back to Jerusalem. I mean, come on, the place is torn down. What are we going to do? How are we going to rebuild the temple? I know Cyrus has given us money, but no, we're not going to do that. But there was a group of people, and it's a large group of people, that goes back. And I want you to see them in chapter 2. All these people. Now, these are the people of the province who came up out of captivity of the exiles when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, carried away to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own city. There came Zerubbabel and Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah. Uh, there are a lot of names I can't pronounce here. Reniah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Misbar, Bigvi. I'm a big fan of Bigvi. Rehan, Bana. It goes on. The number of sons of the people. The sons of Parash, 2172. The sons of Shephatha, 372. The sons of Era. 775, you get the point, right? I won't pronounce all the names. God lists those people. Scripture is valuable. Why does God take time to list all those people? Why down in verse 38 does he list the priests, the sons of Jediah, the house of Yeshua, 973, the sons of Emmet, uh, 1052. And then he goes down to the Levites, the sons of Yeshua and Kadmad, the sons of Hadavah, 74. He keeps on going. And, and you go, okay, this is Scripture. All Scripture is applicable. All Scripture has inspiration of God. All Scripture applies to me for my discipline and correction, training, and righteousness. What does that have to do with anything? These are a bunch of crazy names I can't pronounce. A bunch of numbers. What does this mean to me? Why does God take time? Listen now. Why does God take time to list all these names and numbers? It's because these families stepped out in faith and they were faithful to obey when their hearts are stirred. And if you go over to verse 68, you see that they go back to the temple and they start to lay the foundation. And what a moment that is. They had taken a step of faith. They had gone to what was unfamiliar and torn down. And we don't see the reaction when they see the rubble for the first time. We know when Nehemiah went back the first time that he wept and felt sick to his stomach that Jerusalem was in that shape. 
But what we do see is that they're willing to rebuild. At the start of chapter 3, we see what they prioritize first. If you have a heading over your chapter, it probably says something like, altar and sacrifices restored. First thing they do when they get back is they say, we have got to rebuild the altar. We have got to start making sacrifices to our Lord again. How many think that's a good first priority for the people? Not, let's get houses, let's find some jobs, let's figure out some resources, where's the water, how are we going to get food, you know, we better form a government of some sort, we better put all this together, and once we do that, then we'll set out a plan, we'll give God some time, and we'll, we'll build up our city, we'll make sure the walls are secure, we've got a national defense. No, the first thing they do is say, we better rebuild the altar. We better start burning sacrifices again because we want to get it right this time. And you see in verse 2 that they start to follow the law of Moses. And in verse 4, they restore the feast or tabernacles which commemorated the Lord's deliverance out of Egypt. And then they give thanks to the Lord according to how David specified. For the first time since Solomon, the nation collectively gathers and praises the Lord. And you notice in verse 3, they did all of this even though they were terrified. They go back to a strange place. There are people that are already there. They're intimidated by them. They're scared. They don't have any place to stay. They only have the resources that Cyrus gave them. And they go back in and they say, you know what? We're terrified of this. We're scared. We're intimidated. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to restore the temple. And we're going to start following the law. And we're going to remember God's faithfulness. And we're going to praise God for His goodness. Why? Chapter 1, verse 5. Because their hearts had been stirred by the Lord. Cyrus had shown them the example, and they had followed his his example. And that's the second spiritual principle this morning. When your heart is stirred, you begin to see things from God's perspective instead of your own. When your heart is stirred, you begin to see things from God's perspective instead of your own. Look back at what Cyrus said in chapter 1. He said, God put me here to build a temple in Jerusalem, the Spirit gives clear evidence in his writing that Cyrus was listening to the God. How do we know? Because of the spiritual perspective he has. In verse 3, he says, the Lord has given me all these kingdoms. In other words, he's not on a power trip. I'm in office now. Look at my empire. We captured the great Babylonians. We overthrew them. We are the Persian Empire. And I am the king. And everybody follow me. That's not what he says. He says, God gave me all these kingdoms. And I recognize that the power and authority that I have is from the Lord. It's not from my own intellect. It's not from my own strength. That's a truth we should never forget. And then second, look at what he says in verse 4. He says, the Lord has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem. In other words, I have a specific assignment. This is a pagan king. This is somebody that did not worship Jehovah. He says, God has given me an assignment. God has put me here for a reason. And I have to obey that. Let me ask you this morning, what's the specific assignment the Lord has on your life right now? Don't say, well, it's summer and I don't really have anything. I'm just trying to get by. I'm working hard and I'm going on vacation in a couple weeks and I got a lot going on. No, God has a specific assignment for you right now. What is it? Do you know it? Can you identify it and say, I know God right now is calling me to do this. Maybe it's raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so they'll know Him, so they'll love Him. I want to encourage you, parents, and I'm not saying this dismissively, I'm saying this because I'm still learning it. Kids can learn more than we think, and they take in more than we think. And I want to challenge us, our kids can sit in church Without electronics, I'd love to have some weeks where we just bring all the kids up here and we have them in church. I've still got the notebook when I was nine from my father. All the notes I'd write in my little crummy handwriting that I still have. Notes as I'd listen to him. At nine, I got saved at nine. We, our kids can sit in church. I heard a, a funny story the other day about Damaris Carbaugh. Do you know what Damaris Carbaugh is? Beautiful gospel singer. She's a friend of ours and she sung with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Well, her mom was a preacher in South America. And her mom, when Damaris was young, would put Damaris in the baby seat under the pulpit. And when Damaris would cry or fuss a little bit, 
she would say, excuse me a minute, she'd bring a bottle down or give a toy to her and keep on preaching, maybe kicking the, the car seat with her foot. And you say, well, that's horrible. Why Send the child to the nursery for Pete's sake. A child shouldn't grow up like that sitting in church. Why? Damaris today is ministering to thousands of people, praising God and ministering and talking about the goodness of God. Our kids need to be raised to understand, I can sit in church and I can retain, right? I mean, we have a great children's program this morning, but we have to train them. Maybe that's your calling right now, parent, to raise your kids in the nurture admission, Lord. What a great job that is. Or maybe your job is to be a business person who's marked by great integrity when nobody else has any. Or maybe your job is to witness at your work in a culture that really is very dismissive of the Lord. I know some of you work in a culture where you say, there's nobody around me that will encourage me spiritually. Or or maybe God's calling you to be a missionary like he stirred Miranda's heart. Miranda's back this morning to, to go to Asia and be a missionary. She doesn't know what that looks like yet. Or maybe God wants you to talk to a family member who's not saved. Maybe, maybe God is stirring your heart right now. What are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? When God says, here's my assignment, do we say, nah, I don't know. Or do we say, absolutely, Lord, whatever you call me to do, I'll do it. Here am I. Send me. Let me try to bring this to a close. Cyrus saw the Lord's perspective. And he not only frees up the Jews to go home and rebuild and worship, but he encourages them And he tells people to support them, and then he gives them an offering. He doesn't care about race or nationality or the polls in his country or popularity. He has to do what the Lord calls him to do. And when the Lord calls us to do something, we have to obey. I remember sitting with Randy in my office three or four months ago. We got to the end of the meeting, and he said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, I'm going to candidate at a church in Minnesota. We talked a little bit, and I said, well, you know, what do you think? Where, where are you with it? He goes, I don't know, it's about 50-50. And he wasn't being false in that. But I looked at him and I thought, in my heart, he's going. Why? Because the Lord's called him. Because the Lord's given him an opportunity to be a senior pastor and to be back in his home state and to be near his kids. This is of the Lord. This is the calling of the Lord. And when the Lord calls you, I've said this since day one, when the Lord calls you, you've got to go. You don't argue with him, you just go. God puts a perspective in our heart just like he did when he said, you need to start a church in Racine, call it Harbor Rock Tabernacle. This is going to bless people. That's what we have to do. So when God stirs our heart, we have to see things from his perspective, and that's so needed among believers. Church, listen this morning. We have to have God's perspective, and unfortunately, so many Christians don't. They're just kind of doing church, and they're giving a little bit, serving a little bit, but there's very little understanding of what, why Christ saved them and what they're called to do and what their purpose is, and, and there's, there's no fire and there's no passion. I hope that doesn't describe it this morning, but maybe it does. And I want to encourage you and implore you, don't settle into that. Don't fall back into that, especially in summer. Don't be dull. Don't say, well, the Lord doesn't have an assignment for me, Paul. I don't know what it is. Well, then you better seek him because he wants something. I got an email this week. Let me tell you this real quick from a, from a guy I knew in our singles group back in 2000, 14 years ago. And he wrote me and he said, Paul, my name is Derek. I lived in Wheaton from 1999 to 2001 and my life was a wreck. I was on drugs and my life was falling apart. I walked into Wheaton Bible Church in the middle of the week looking for help. They put me in touch with one of the pastors. He reached out to me on a number of occasions and I even met with him and his family a couple times. I wasn't at the point yet to surrender my life to Christ. However, years later I did. This person had a huge impact in my life and I've never forgotten it. I don't remember the pastor's name, but I've been trying to get a hold of him for years to thank you for planting a seed in my life. Although I didn't change at the time, ever since my encounter, it became my journey to Christ. Would you be the pastor I met with? If so, I'd love to connect with you sometime by phone call. What it was, the Lord used that, and I remember Derek well, and I'm so grateful that the Lord saved him by grace. So I I went on the internet, and I thought, i got to find where he is now. He's living outside of Philadelphia. He's married to a beautiful woman. He's got two kids, and he's serving as a young adult pastor. Now, that's the Lord. That's the Lord stirring a heart 
with a chance encounter that wasn't a chance encounter where they said, is there somebody to talk to? And you talk to them and you try to minister to them. It's not your power. It's not my ability. It's not anything I did. Don't get me wrong by me reading that. It's to tell you, look at how the Lord worked. Look at how the Lord stirred. And Randy, if I'm going to give you one charge this morning, can I do that? Can I give you one charge? It is to never underestimate how important it is to have your heart stirred by the Lord. Never lose sight of that. The moment Randy and his new church stops being stirred by the Lord, the moment ministry shuts down. But as he stays stirred, that church will explode. And the people have to be stirred. The people have to be raised up to serve the Lord. Look at this. Let's finish because the kids are coming up. Look at chapter 2. The Spirit lists all those names. Not one politician, not one wealthy person, not one leader, not one athlete, not one actress, not anybody who we would say matters in our culture. We're all worried about what LeBron did last night, or what movie Brad Pitt's making, or who has the number one record. You know what the Lord cares about? He cares about the 323 people in the family of Bizai that went from Persia to Jerusalem. Why? Because He names them. Those are the people that are important. Heaven records a lot. It records our time in His presence. It records what we gave this morning. It records how we serve. That's what pleases the Lord. People were stirred. Let me give you a final thought. Being stirred by the Lord breaks us out of our habit of being safe and comfortable and predictable. When believers, when a church is stirred like Cyrus, when we prioritize that, the Lord will work. We've got to believe that this morning because that's the truth. They get back in chapter 3. We won't read it. Read it later on today, verses 10 to 13. And they get back and they lay the foundation of the temple. And the older people are crying. The Bible says they're wailing because they remembered how it used to be. Seventy years had passed. been a long time since they had been back. Some of them would have remembered when they were little kids and they saw the grand temple and now they see it just at its foundation and they start to weep and they start to cry, and they think how Israel had squandered the blessing of God. The younger people are going, yeah, look at the foundation, we got it laid, we're going. And it says in the chapter, chapter 3, that the mix of wailing and shouting combined together so you couldn't tell what was what. The mix of a heart that's broken and surrendered before the Lord, that's humbled before the Lord, and yet praising God with gratitude, saying, Lord, look at what you've done, and Lord, use us even more. This is what happens when our hearts are stirred. And church this morning, believer this morning, we got to get stirred by the Lord, because the Lord's got a lot of plans for us. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we're so grateful to you for what you've done in our lives, for what you've done in our midst, for how you have redeemed us. You have been faithful every step of the way. You're gracious and merciful and loving. And Lord, we don't understand why you do that. It's only by your mercy, but we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning for saving us and redeeming us and filling us with your spirit. And Lord, we thank you for stirring us. Lord, every believer in this room this morning has a specific assignment from you right now. Help us, Lord, to seek that and discern that by your Spirit. And as we understand what we do next, Lord, that we would embrace it and we would go after it with a full heart, with passion, with vigor, knowing that you're going to use us for your glory. You're going to use us to lead people to Christ. You're going to use us to disciple people and encourage people and pray for people and strengthen people. Lord, this is not a passive assignment. This is an active assignment that you've given us. Help me to understand it, Lord. Help Randy to understand it. Help our church to understand it that we would follow after you all the days of our life and we would do so with great joy. Stir us, Lord, again and again. And may we be faithful to follow. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask the Steinbachs to come up. This is a uh, joyful Sunday and it's a bittersweet Sunday because we're saying goodbye this morning to two families that have been very, very integral in our church Uh, over the last years, Uh, can you grab his mic, since the start, and um, 
Eric and Stacy, Emma, Ethan, and Sadie have been here, I think, since day one. Right, guys? Come on up, guys. Come on. And um, it is joyful for us that the Lord has stirred their hearts uh, to move to Wausau, but it stinks for us, right, um, to see this family go. And I just want Eric to share for a couple minutes about how the Lord's uh, worked in their lives, uh, and then we're going to have a word of prayer for them. So, Eric, would you share? Yeah, I just want to say thanks to everyone that, uh, um, my whole family, we've been part of this church pretty much for all of Sadie's life, and uh, the spiritual walk that we've had as a family uh, is attributed to, so, attributed to so many people here. I uh, especially want to thank Pastor Paul. His, um, his gift of the Word has really challenged me to dig deeper into the Word, and some of the men in this church have challenged me to uh, be the better father and husband. And I just want to say thank you. My family thanks you. And we ask for your prayers of praise for having uh, this wonderful chapter of our lives as part of HRT. And then also prayers as we go forward um, for, uh, you know, whatever God's got in store for us as we move to Wausau. And uh, I truly believe he's going to have some good things in store. So just thank you. This is a precious family. They have served faithfully. Eric served in our finance team. And... Uh, Led our softball team. Stacy's worked in children's ministry. Awana. Kids have been involved. They know the word. They love the Lord. And um, again, when the Lord stirs your heart and calls you, you go, um, no matter how difficult it is. And while it's sad for us, we find confidence in the Lord this morning that he's leading them. So would you join me? I'm going to pray for them. Would you join me uh, in praying in your heart for Eric and Stacy and Emma and Ethan and Sadie as they start this next chapter of life. Let's pray for them. Lord, you are so gracious, and we thank you this morning for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for our friends, the Steinbachs, Lord, and we are so grateful for the friendship and for the ministry that they have had in this place, for how they've been an example of a godly marriage, godly parents, how these children have grown up to know the Lord and know your word and Lord, we're just so grateful for what you're doing in their lives. We now pray as we send them out, Lord, that they would go as ambassadors for you, strong and faithful for the Lord every day of their lives. And Lord, that you would strengthen them in every way, in their marriage, in their family, in their church life. We pray that you would give them a great body of believers that would encourage them where they could use their gifts. We pray for these three precious children, Lord, that you would um, continue to grow them in the Lord and that they would have a special assignment, a calling on their lives that you would use them in a mighty way. And Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for your faithfulness and the confidence that we have that you've already gone before them. And we look to you now and ask your blessing and your hand on their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank the Steinbachs for their ministry. Make sure you uh, greet them after the service. I'm sure they'll want to greet you. I think the moving truck's coming tomorrow for them. So um, we're just uh, sad by that, but we're grateful for how God's leading them. I'm going to ask Randy to come up, and I'm also going to ask uh, Brad and Adam and um, Tom to come up, please, and stand behind us. Um, this, this calling to be set apart to the work of ministry is very important and very humbling. And we know that anyone can be called and set apart. God shows that throughout Scripture, that the disciples who were just kind of average men um, were called by the Lord, and they set their lives apart, and they were filled with the Spirit, and God used them literally to change the world. I think if there's one thing Randy and I have shared over the years is we feel like average guys. Um, and it's been a joy to be able to serve together um, and to see how God works. This is a high calling to ministry. We don't take it lightly. First Timothy says that those who preach and teach are worthy of double honor from the Lord. But James 3 also warns that those who teach are held to a higher standard and they'll incur stricter judgment if they don't handle the Word of God carefully. So this is not something to be taken lightly. It's not a temporary job. It's not a next step on a career path. 
It is uh, not something a person walks away from uh, when it gets difficult or challenging, and we both know it does and it will. Um, there are many hard days, there are many personal challenges, and there is the unrelenting attack of the devil uh, against ministers and pastors. I don't say that as a self-pity, I say that it's because it's the reality. And uh, it is a great calling from the Lord. God is always faithful. He's always gracious. He is always sufficient. He will always stand by you uh, in this calling. And as you keep your heart stirred before him, he will do that. Over the years, we have seen uh, Randy really uh, have the Lord work in his life and his ministry. And after completing his Master's of Biblical Studies from Liberty University, uh, the leadership of Harbor Rock Tabernacle started to assess uh, the opportunity to ordain him to ministry. This is our first ordination as a church, which is a joy, and uh, we're thrilled this morning. It seems very fitting uh, that as Randy goes to this new ministry in Minnesota, uh, that we would send him out as a product of this church, and we're grateful to do those, so this morning. So that being said, I'd like to read a proclamation from his ordination council. On Tuesday afternoon, the 3rd of June, 2014, an ordination council was formed at Harbor Rock Tabernacle in Racine, Wisconsin, to assess Randy Gamer in terms of his calling to ministry and his mastery of biblical theology. The council consisted of Reverend Dan Peterson, Reverend John Bodner, Reverend Sam Jackson, and Reverend Paul Rhodes. Reverend Doug Aldrink was not able to attend. After opening with prayer, the pastors listened as Randy described his salvation experience his calling to ministry, and the new opportunity the Lord had presented him with to become senior pastor of Elam Baptist Church in Anoka, Minnesota. The council then had several hours to go through Randy's doctoral statement to ask him questions regarding theology. We asked him to defend his theology using scripture in areas including the doctrine of scripture, God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, sin, salvation, sanctification, spiritual gifts, the church, ordinances, eternal security, and eschatology. We also asked him to delineate his theological positions in terms of the role of women in the church, the sign gifts, church discipline, and his own personal life and conduct. We're pleased to say that Randy capably defended his beliefs and gave strong evidence of his calling to ministry. After we prayed for Randy, we dismissed him and had further discussion, and it was the unanimous decision of the Council of Pastors to recommend that Randy be ordained to the gospel ministry today the 15th of June, 2014, at Harbor Rock Tabernacle. Randy? Yeah. Randy, we affirm your calling. We pray the Lord's blessing on your life and ministry. We want to present you with this as a record of your ordination, and we hope you will enjoy that and uh, be able to look at that and always have that be a reminder of how God has called you. Um, because that's what that represents. That represents hard work and the calling of the Lord and the stirring of the Lord to serve him faithfully. We need to be praying for Randy, for Tracy, for the kids who are here this morning. We'll pray for them in a couple minutes. Um, but we really need to be praying for them as he goes into this new ministry, as he embarks on a very new adventure. And it will challenge him, and it will stress him, and it will stretch him. But it will be good because God's faithful, right? So I'm going to ask our deacons, our men, to pray for him this morning. I'm going to ask all three of you, if you would, we're going to lay hands, if all three of you would say a prayer for Randy. And would we join together and pray for Randy as we ordain him this morning to the gospel ministry. Men, would you pray? Father, I want to come before you and just uh, acknowledge that you are the one that's in control of every decision, Lord, that while we come together and we make plans and we look out ahead and try to discern what it is you've called us to. Father, it's only to the extent that we are uh, committed to follow you wherever you lead that we will find ourselves in your will. And I thank you, Father, that that is Randy's heart, that he has uh, done a lot of hard work. Uh, and Lord, that you have blessed that work. Not only have you blessed the work that he's done, but you've blessed the path forward. And Father, as we come to get today and are sad to see him go, uh, Lord, we come with great joy to see that you are calling our brother into the, into the ministry. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this ordination, for his, his ability to defend your word, Father. It's not about his position. It's not about what he wants us to think or hear. It's about what your word says. I thank you for his heart in that. 
Father, as we send them today, we send them with great thanksgiving and ask that you would do the same in our lives, Father, that we would take motivation from what he has done, Lord, that we would seek to follow you just as he is following you. Thank you for his faithfulness to this church, and we pray your faithful blessing as he goes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my brother, Randy, Lord. I just thank you for the calling in his life that you placed on his heart, Lord. I thank you for his family, Lord, and their service to this church, Father. And <clears throat> Again, while it's sad to see such a cornerstone of the church here in ministry here, Lord, Father, to see that leave, Lord, we are just so joyful and we rejoice with you, Lord, Father, to see one of your sons go out and do ministry in your name, Father God. And we just pray right now that you would just use this family, that you would use Randy in a mighty way to bring many that are lost to you, Lord, Father. I pray that you would strengthen him as, as our brother Paul has just said, Pastor Paul just said, Lord, it's going to be a tough road, and I pray that you would just protect this family, Lord Father. I pray that you would strengthen his marriage, Lord Father. I pray that you would strengthen his relationship with his children and that you would guide them and direct them, Lord Father, and make their paths straight as they go down this journey, Father. We thank you so much for, for this day, Father. Lord, let us not ever lose touch with them, Lord Father, but let us just be prayerfully... Uh, uh, just bathe them in prayer, Lord, Father, and just rejoice in the work that you are going to do in them, Lord. And I just thank you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Your word says, Lord, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord that he is my shelter, my refuge, and him will I trust. So, Lord, I just pray for this family now as they go forth that you would hedge them in. Lord, we know the enemy is the enemy, and he will do whatever he can to wreak havoc on this family. So, Lord, I just pray that you would shelter them, that you would be their refuge. Lord, we know that uh, one man is not a ministry, but this family is the ministry, Lord. And, Lord, I, so I would pray that you would go before them, that you would lead them and guide them, that you would uh, set their path straight. Lord, and um, Lord, as your word says, you will give them everything they need for life and for godliness through, as they increase their knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, be with them. Uh, Lord, we know that you will never forsake them. So, Lord, we're just excited about the mission that you're sending them out on now, Lord. So just lead and guide them and, and be with them always, as we will be with them always as well. So, Lord, we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask Tracy and the family to come up. And we're going to um, say a prayer for them as they start out on their new adventure. We're glad that Brittany and Ashley and Jared were able to come home from camp for Sunday. It's great to see you guys. We're glad always that Amber's here. And uh, I don't know if you want to or can say a couple words. Do you want, you want to try? All right, <laughs> done. All right. so uh, I'm going to just lead us in prayer. And again, as we did with Eric and Stacy and their family, would you please also be praying as God sets them out? Unusual to say goodbye to two families in one Sunday. But again, we're confident that God is leading and guiding, so we're grateful for what he's done. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the ministry. We thank you for your calling on our lives. We thank you for this family that has been right in the center of everything that you have done in this church. We thank you for their friendship. We thank you for their ministry, which has been extensive. Father, with leading and guiding worship and all the other facets of Randy's job, uh, ministering to people and visiting hospitals, and uh, Father, setting up systems and all that he's done for Tracy, her work with children's ministry and helping out with Awana for years. Lord, for these kids who have served faithfully in ministry, diligently serving you without complaint. Father, we're just so grateful for what you have done and the example that they have set. And now, Lord, we commission them to go forward to Anoka, to, Lord, to serve at Elam, to, to minister there. And we pray that they would be encouraged by their new congregation, that they would fit in seamlessly. Lord, that you would direct their steps, that they would be an encouragement and a spiritual strength 
to that congregation, Lord, that we now feel affinity to. And Lord, that you would guide Randy as he serves in this new role, that you'd give him wisdom, you'd give him strength, that you'd give him patience, Lord, that he would understand um, how to serve you best, and that faithfully you would use every member of this family uh, to serve you, and Lord, to live for you as an example of a family that loves you. We thank you for their marriage, for their parenting. Lord, we just thank you for everything about them, and we commission them and send them now. Lord, by your hand, you're the one who has stirred. You're the one who lead. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to just take a few seconds. I know it's Father's Day and we're already late, but um, we have been so blessed to have been part of um, this church in the you know, I was looking back the other day, kind of remembering everything, and I don't know who in their right mind starts a church in three weeks, but, um, you know, God um, moved in a mighty way, and um, I'll never forget that first Sunday when we looked out, and there was no empty chairs, and people were putting chairs up in the hallway, and, um, and God has um, <clears throat> chosen to. Uh, take people away from the body, and he's chosen to bring new faces in. Um, but to be certain of one thing, God has called his church, and God has called this church to be ministers in Racine. And, uh, man, what a awesome opportunity you have. You know, I feel like right now God is calling us out at a great time because you guys are poised to kind of just make this next step here. And... Um, He's placed you in this location at this time with hundreds of people all around us that need the gospel. And uh, so I would pray that this church would be a church that continues to reach out and really finds their way into this neighborhood and meets people and loves people and brings people to Christ. Because that's what it's all about. And as we go, we're going to carry that legacy forward. That as I go to a neighborhood of a new church in Anoka, um, that we're going to reach that same neighborhood and we're going to love those people and we're going to carry the gospel forward. And so I want to thank you all just for the amazing part that you've played in our lives. Everyone has played a different role. And what an amazing blessing each of you have been. And you know what I love about the faith is that it is never a, a permanent goodbye. I mean, we, we hope that through Facebook and even through visits, you know, that we stay close. But... Um, if, if we fall away that way, for those of us who know Jesus, there's always the promise that someday we'll be together. And because uh, we are his body, we are his church. And the church in Racine is the same church that's in Anoka and is the same church that's in North Dakota and all across the country, all across the world. So thank you so much for the role you've all played. What a blessing it is.